Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. This week, we are covering part two. So if you haven't listened to part one of the 22 Steps episode, please go back and listen to that. We're covering part two now. If you did not listen to episode one, I just want to give this warning again. This case does deal with extremely graphic nature and it could be unsettling for some listeners. So with that being said, listener discretion is highly advised for this episode. It is particularly violent. And in part one, we left off with Bobby Joe Long being... Uh, captured by police they had brought him in for questioning he had confessed but there was still two more bodies police didn't know about and another huge bomb he was going to drop on police so let's just get back into it over the next five hours of uh, Bobby Joe Long's uh, interrogation the interview police were doing with him after he had confessed he describes all the murders that they knew about and even one they didn't know about police don't know if he's lying so for some reason Bobby Joe Long he draws them a map to the body and police immediately go to the area and there they find body number nine 21 year old Vicki Elliott reported missing September 7th and it's believed that Bobby Joe Long killed Vicki after Elizabeth and before Chanel Vicki's murder was particularly brutal as police discovered he had sexually assaulted her with scissors they found in her sexual organ. Bobby Joe Long said that he picked up Vicky by asking her if she wanted a ride. And once she agreed and was in the car, he attacked her. But she fought back, stabbing him with scissors that she kept in her bag for this exact reason. And this made Bobby Joe Long so mad, he then raped and murdered her and tossed her body out in a remote location. He used the same technique with Lana Elizabeth Chanel and Virginia. With Kim Swan, he had stopped and asked her if she would like to get a drink with him. And she said yes. And she got into his car, the Red Dodge Magnum. When he attacked her, she fought so hard and for so long that he said he just ended up strangling her to death and didn't want to have sex with her after that because he was too tired. For the abduction of Michelle Karen and Kim Hops, he told police that he offered to pay them for their sexual services to get them into his car. Then Bobby Joe Long confesses to something else, something they had no idea about. Bobby says that he was the classified ads rapist in Fort Lauderdale in the late 1970s and 80s. He tells police how he would look through the ads and call people selling things like furniture. And if a woman answered the phone, he would arrange to pick up the furniture. And then when he got there, he would ask if there was a man there to help load the furniture. And if there was a man there, he would look at the furniture and then go, oh, never mind. Actually, this isn't what this isn't for me. I'm not looking for this. But if the woman was alone, he would ask to see the furniture. And then once inside the home, he would rape them. He detailed 15 separate rapes. 
and he couldn't remember the rest. That's how many there were. But the actual number was around 50. Five, zero. When Bobby was arrested and after he confessed, he called his wife and confessed to her the terrible evil acts he had done. He knew he wasn't going to be free again. And he told Cynthia, which is his ex-wife, to tell his children he was dead. He was like, can you just tell them I died in a car accident? When Bobby Joe Long was in jail awaiting trial, another police officer contacts police and says, Bobby may be the rapist that he's looking for from a recent case. When they search Bobby's apartment, they not only find clothes and jewelry belonging to his his victims, but a photo album with nude pictures of some of the rape victims in it, including the one victim that the police officer was handling that case. Then, November 22nd, the remains of 18-year-old Artis Wick are discovered. Artis was missing for eight months since March 27th and is believed to be the first murder victim of Bobby Joe Long. He does confess to this murder as well, which makes me think there are so many undiscovered bodies out there that nobody has ever found and that Bobby Joe Long has murdered way more than 10 women. And police, they believe that as well. Now I'm going to break down the timeline of his crimes and talk about some of the things that I haven't mentioned yet. This timeline is important because it clearly shows what stressors the killer has and some possible contributing factors such as head injuries. Head injuries are often linked to serial killers as they can damage the control center of the brain. So they are more likely to act impulsively, violently, take risks, and not think about consequences. I have been hearing this for many years on true crime podcasts. That's where I'm getting that information from just hearing it in the true crime world. And scientists, they've actually studied this hypothesis. Serial killers such as Fred West, who murdered 12 people, um, he had previously had two very bad head traumas. Richard Ramirez and Jeffrey Dahmer, as well they had previous head trauma i will link the article in my show notes and the study done on it and where i got a bit of that information from when bobby joe long was a child he suffered from multiple head injuries um, including a fall off a swing being hit by a car but it wasn't until he was an adult that he suffered a, a very very bad one where things really started to change from there. And that's when, um, just a few years after that, the timeline's kind of messy about when he did the classified ad rapes, but it was for sure after this head injury. And he also went through a divorce around that time. Bobby Joe Long, born October 14th, 1953, with a genetic disorder called Kleinfelter syndrome, which meant he was born with an extra X chromosome. And because of this, later in life, he was bullied because he did grow breasts, which he did have surgically removed, but he was always incredibly embarrassed of his scars and would often leave his shirt on while swimming and also being intimate with his wife. 
1955, his mother divorced his father and moved away to Florida, taking Bobby with her. To support her and her son, she took a job at a bar called A Big Daddy's, and they lived in a single-room apartment where the two shared a bed until he was 13 years old. Bobby, he was angry with his mother because he didn't like what she wore. He thought it was too revealing. And it was also reported that his mother would bring home strange men and have sex with them in the bed that her and Bobby shared, having to kick Bobby out of the bed to use it. In one of the documentaries I linked in my show notes, it has a forensic psychologist talking about what it's like for a boy that age who is starting to mature into his own sexuality. And the psychologist says that a boy at that age needs to see his mother as asexual meaning he shouldn't know details about his mother's sexuality. And they also have another forensic psychologist talk about how a boy at that age maturing into his sexuality, he's already having sexual thoughts, but seeing his mother wearing revealing clothing, looking at his mother's body in a sexual way may have turned him on or caused arousal, but that would have also caused confusion and anger towards his mother. But would that make a serious killer on its own i don't think so but it could be a contributing factor or he could just be born evil in 1958 bobby falls off a swing and he hits his head so hard it had knocked him unconscious not only that but he had a stick protruding through his eyelid so head injury number one One year after that is head injury number two. When he is riding a bicycle and thrown off his bike into a parked car and suffered a bad concussion. 1961, head injury number three. This time he was hit by a car and was hospitalized for this concussion. Again in 1961, he was hit by a car again when he ran into the street and by and this time he nearly died. As a result of the accident, his jaw was deformed, which just made another thing for him to be bullied about. Kids are so mean. And I believe about this time he was seven, seven years old. The next year he fell off a horse. And then the year after that, we have head injury number six, which happened when he fell off a fence and he he was required to get stitches in his head because of that. Okay, so most of these I read in a source called True Crime and Cannibalism, so I can't for sure say if all of these head injuries are entirely accurate, but multiple credible sources and documentaries have at least two or three of these injuries mentioned in them. In all these years I just went over, his mother and father were getting back together and breaking up again uh, a few times. So it's possible Bobby may have resented his mother for this. I didn't read anything that he said that, but given his hatred for women as an adult, it may have played into his views on women and relationships. In 1966, at age 13, he was finally sleeping in his own bed. He had his own bed. He met a girl he really liked named Cynthia. But around this age, uh, his genetic disorder was starting to show. And he had the deformed jaw as well. So I could imagine school was really hard for him. And although he did grow those breasts, it was very soon after they were showing that he had them surgically 
surgically removed. This is also around the same time he was getting angry with his mother for revealing clothing. So hormones are kicking in, lots of stuff is happening. As a teenage boy, he would get into trouble here and there, stuff like theft or whatever. But at the age of 18, he was accused of rape. And in everything I read, this seems to be the first time that rape pops up. So the age 18, he's accused of rape, but nothing comes from it as there wasn't enough evidence. And I believe the girl told police that she was lying, but I'm not so sure she was after reading about his adult life. I think maybe police were like, maybe putting pressure on her. Like, you know, it's a, you know, it's against the law to falsely accuse someone of rape or something and maybe she was like okay fine I lied I'll take it back maybe it was just too much for her to deal with who knows I have no idea that's just my thought on that that is not that hasn't been proven anywhere by the age of 19 he joined the army and at 21 he and Cynthia married in 1974 the same year only months after getting married he was in a terrible motorcycle accident and suffered severe head trauma he was put into hospital in like a full body cast his leg was so badly mangled they thought they might even have to amputate it like this was a really really bad motorcycle accident but when he was in hospital it became very clear that something had changed in Bobby he was demanding sex every time Cynthia would visit and the nurses told her that he had been masturbating about five times a day as a result of his injuries he had to leave the army he did go back to school to get an associate's degree in x-ray technology and he got a job at a medical center it's hard to say when he started the classified ad rapes as some sources say 1974 and some say 1980 but as we'll find out later there's cases even after that but I believe it was the late 70s to early 80s early to mid 80s well not mid but early 80s late 70s as they moved to Fort Lauderdale in 1975, and that's where a lot of these classified ad rapes had happened. Now that Bobby was home from the hospital, he was demanding sex from Cynthia every day, multiple times a day. He was also very violent and abusive to her and would strangle her until she passed out. They do eventually have two children together by 1975, and that is when they had moved to Fort Lauderdale. So in 1976, Cynthia's friend accused Bobby Jo Long of raping her, when, and then police just brushed it off and said, oh, she's probably lying because her friend was just mad, and the, sens the sex, it was consensual. Oh, so I gotta say this. Fuck the 70s for that exact reason. Sorry, 70s. Cynthia said in an interview she absolutely believes that her husband, Bobby Joe, her husband at the time, Bobby Joe Long, did rape her friend. She absolutely believes that now. By this time, the abuse is so much. And after he lands Cynthia in hospital, after beating her up, she decides to leave him and file for divorce in 1980. And this is for sure the time revolving around the classified ad rapes the night bobby had battered cynthia to the point he knocked her out and and then made her drive herself to the hospital for stitches he told her that if she said anything about him abusing her then he would kill her 
The doctor at the hospital wouldn't believe Cynthia's story when she had told him oh I tripped over I think she said like one of her children's toys he wouldn't believe that he was like no and the reason why he wouldn't believe that is because she had a hand bruise one two three four five fingers four fingers one thumb perfectly marked wrapped around her throat as she the doctor could see that someone had clearly been choking her So this is a good doctor. He goes out and he comes back in with a police officer and the police officer talks to Cynthia and she's terrified. She's terrified of her husband finding out she's talking to police about this. She doesn't know what to do. So the police officer says, hey, look, I'm going to come talk to you in a week. If you haven't left him, if he's still living there, if you haven't filed for divorce, we're going to have to take action. We're going to have to go further with this, which I mean... I feel like they should have arrested him right then and there, but maybe she was scared. They were trying to work with her, so they gave her this ultimatum. And she was like, okay, I know what I got to do. Yes, Cynthia, okay. So Cynthia goes home. She gets a shotgun, and she points it at Bobby Joe Long as he sleeps. And she's just standing there looking at him, pointing this shotgun at his big, stupid head. And she's thinking like, yeah, I'm going to kill this son of a fucking bitch because fuck him, right? He wakes up. He sees that she's holding a shotgun at his face. They have words. He's like, do it. And then she realized that she would lose her children if she did it. And her children were in the home. And she was like, I don't want to lose my children. I don't want to murder somebody with my children in the room next to me. So Cynthia, you see, she does understand consequences. And although that was a bit spur of the moment, she did realize, hey, there's consequences to this. Hey, my actions, you know, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. And she realizes like, okay, this is not the road that I want to go down. And she puts the gun down, but she does file for divorce. So Bobby, he moved out into an apartment, which I'm surprised he could, she could get rid of him so easily. It didn't seem like it was too much drama actually to get him out of that house. Anyways, so Bobby moves into an apartment with a friend's sister. And soon after that, he was accused of raping her and assaulting her. So these were two separate incidences. But he, I don't think he, he was never charged with the rape on that. So that is to this day still an accusation. No charges were laid on that. But the assault charge did stick, but it was later appealed. We will see that Bobby Joe Long loves a fucking appeal. Wait till we get to the court case. Okay, I'm jumping ahead. After switching jobs and being unemployed by 1982, he was living with his parents. 1983, he got another job as an x-ray technician, but he was fired possibly for questionable behavior towards female patients. His coworkers also reported that he seemed to be obsessed with sex. He talked about it a lot and he didn't react well to female employees. So that same year, he was sentenced for sending a 12-year-old girl obscene letters and pictures, but he only received a two-day jail sentence and probation. So I'm not sure how long the probation was, but a two-day jail sentence? Um, okay. This is the year he buys a red Dodge Magnum. And this is also when he leaves his parents' home and moves back to Florida to the Tampa area. So I wonder if he was raping women in the town his parents lived in because it seems odd that he would just stop 
In March of 1984, he loses his job. March 27th, he commits what we know as his first murder. He abducts and murders Artise Wick. April 5th, he tries to abduct another woman at gunpoint by saying he likes her car so much and he would love a ride in it and I could never afford a car like that. Please, lady, can I have a ride around the block in your car? I just love it so much and I'm a nice, sweet guy. And well, this woman agrees. So he gets in the car and once they start driving around the block... He pulls a gun on the woman and the woman is like, fuck this. She speeds up her car. She goes, she starts speeding in her car and she purposefully flips the car over. She purposefully gets into a car accident. A police officer saw the accident and came running over after he hears the woman scream. So she flips the car. She gets out. She screams. Bobby Joe Long, he jumps out of the car. He points a gun at her. She's screaming. The police start running. It's a whole fucking scene. So he's running away. Police catch him. Good. Okay. So I believe this woman, she would have been murdered had she not have done that badass boss bitch fucking speed up car flip ride or die maneuver. It's just absolutely crazy. Like that is just stuff movies are made out of. Anyways, Bobby Joe Long, he was charged with aggravated assault and he only got three years probation for the attack. So again, not behind bars. Okay, so up to this point, I think he's done two days in prison. Um, he's been accused multiple times for rape and assault, and he's only done two fucking days in prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Previously to this, in the late 1983, Bobby Joe Long had started dating a woman who he says he was in love with, but after this incident, they broke up. Bobby Long accused her of cheating on him, which may or may not be true, but this fueled his hatred for women and things, they really ramped up after this because in early May, he murders Lana. I also read in a source that he had lost another job May 23rd after being fired and on May 26th, that's when he killed Michelle. So fired, murder, fired, murder, relationship ends, murder. He just, he's, yeah, he's going through a messy time in life. And this is when all of these murders are really picking up. So he's gone from raping women, which we will find out later. Oh, I guess we already know about the classified ad rapes, but we'll talk more about that later. So he went from raping lots and lots of women to then abducting, raping, and murdering. Um, So his, his crimes are really escalating and they it only goes one way for murderers like this it only goes upwards he's only going to kill more they're only going to get more brutal there's no going backwards he's never going to stop june 8th he murdered elizabeth and then in july and august there are no known murders on his timeline that's right i made a timeline i was like that lady with the pictures on the wall and the red string and the days and when they went missing and when they were discovered and i basically created this whole like timeline of what was happening in his life and then when he murdered So June 8th, he murdered Elizabeth. And then in July and August, there are no known murders on the timeline. This makes me think that they never found those victims. I don't think that he just took July and August off from killing. I think that he killed in July and August, but those bodies were never found. 
In September, he murders Vicky and Chanel. And then in October, he murders three women in one month. So it's really amping up. Um, Karen, he murders on his birthday, his 31st birthday. And then a week after that, he murders Kim Hops. And he also murders Virginia, which means his murders are getting closer and closer together. November 11th is when he murders Kim Swan. Um, and then police arrest him on November 16th. So if police didn't catch him, he would never stop abducting, raping, and murdering women. It was just going to become more and more and more until probably one one a day or every other day. Like he was just getting less and less satisfied for shorter periods of time. Let's now talk about his super messy trial. Since Virginia Johnson was discovered in another county, it meant Bobby Joe Long would have to stand trial for that in that county. And due to statutes of limitations, he couldn't be tried for some of the rapes that occurred in the earlier years, which is crazy that there is a limitation on that. And I wonder if the law has changed. I hope it's changed. There should be no statute of limitation on rape. That's what I'm saying. So initially, Bobby Joe Long is charged with eight counts of first degree murder, and it was eight, not 10, because he was never charged for the murder of Artis Wick due to some plea deal, which was fucked up because they didn't even tell her parents for over a year what had happened to her, who killed her. And her parents actually found out through the newspaper during the trial. And so we'll get into that later. Also, these charges were minus Virginia's murder because he was being tried for her murder in another county. So he was also charged with nine counts of kidnapping, eight counts of sexual assault, also one count of violation of parole because he had the three years parole for the abduction of that woman with a gun in her car when she pulled that badass move and flipped it. Okay. These trials were so confusing to read about because there were so many sentencing and appeals appeal 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 so i will just give you the gist of it you would have to be a a lawyer to understand everything that's happened here which i've said before i am not so he was evaluated by forensic psychologists before being tried and many agreed that he had a lot of mental issues but in the end he couldn't be let off of the charges because of them he knew what he was doing was wrong and he didn't have to do what he did but he did do it because he enjoyed the abuse and torture he enjoyed that he hated women he enjoyed abusing and torturing them he enjoyed the psychological aspect of it he enjoyed the physical aspect of it he enjoyed this which is fucked up February 11th, 1985, Bobby Joe Long pleads not guilty by reason of insanity for the murder of Virginia Johnson. So this is the trial that happened in another county. April 22nd, the six-day trial started. In the end of that trial, he was sentenced to death for the first-degree murder of Virginia Johnson, and he was sentenced to death by electric chair. So starting off strong, loving that, okay? April 14th, Bobby Joe Long goes on trial again. This time for a rape he had committed while using the classified ads to find victims. The woman, she was selling her home in March of 1984 when Bobby Joe Long contacted her for a viewing on the 6th. So this happened March 6, 1984. Once inside and realizing they were alone, he threatened her with a gun, raped her and stole her jewelry. He also took photos of her, which police found both the photo, like both the photo and the jewelry in his home during a search. 
For this crime, he was charged with four counts of sexual battery, burglary, robbery, and kidnapping. And on April 14, 1985, he was found guilty on all charges and he was sentenced on June 17th. And I have never seen a better sentencing in my entire life. To me, this actually beats the death penalty. The judge sentenced him to 693 years in prison. 693 years! Wow. Now that's sentencing. That is a sentencing if I've ever heard one. The victim testified in court and she got her day of justice. She remains unnamed. So he was charged for that rape that happened on um, March 6th. Um, and Artis Wick, she was killed March 27th. So September 23rd, Bobby Joe Long takes a plea deal and he pleads guilty to the first degree murders, kidnapping and sexual battery of Lana, Michelle, Elizabeth, Chanel, Karen, Kim, Swan, Kimberly Hops and Vicky. And he also pleads guilty to kidnapping and sexual battery to Lisa McVeigh. In total, he is sentenced to, I love this one again, they, I just love it when the courts actually fucking get this shit right. So in total, he is sentenced to 26 life sentences. And I'm not sure how these all work, but he would still have eligibility of parole after 50 years. To me, when I think 26 life sentences, I think 25 years times 26. So I'm like, that seems like a lot of years. So why would he be eligible for parole in 50? I don't, I don't understand it. I doubt that he would ever make it out on parole. After all, he's got a death sentence. He's got 693 year sentence in prison. And now he has 26 life sentences. So that parole after 50 years, that's not looking very promising, I will say. Next, Bobby Joe Long had to stand trial for the first degree murder, kidnapping and sexual battery of... Michelle Sims and at first he pled guilty and then he tried to take that guilty plea back and then he got a new lawyer and it was just this whole process he just made this so fucking hard for everybody so on July 6 1986 this lawyer um yeah I I don't know what he was doing here but he was the one who outed long on the opening day of the murder of Artis Wick nobody knew about this murder they all thought the death count was nine but this lawyer opening day he's like yeah and you know what he killed 10 people this is his lawyer this is a defense lawyer this is the lawyer representing bobby joe long and instead of being like yes nine people he's like 10 yeah you guys didn't know it but he actually killed more people he killed 10 how is that a good defense you know what in, in my mind, I think that this defense lawyer was like, yeah, I'll represent you, Bobby Joe Long, and then just do like the worst fucking job possible just to make sure he gets a sentence. I don't think that's what was happening here, but honestly, it feels a bit like that in this moment. July 6, 1986, this lawyer was the one who outed Bobby Joe Long on the opening day for the murder of Artiswick. Nobody had known but police up until that day. This is how her parents found out. Only then, after this was brought out in court, only then did police contact her parents to talk to them about this. And he was never tried for this murder, actually. July 18th, the jury voted 11 to 1. Bobby Joe Long be sentenced to death. Another death sentence. 
What I would like to know is who was that one juror who voted against it, I wonder, because I can see both sides of of the death penalty. I can see it as you put them on death row. They sometimes sit, you know, there's no way out. There's no chance of parole. There's no way for that them to get out once that death sentence sticks. So potentially they could sit on death row until they die naturally in prison. So they could be on death row for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years because a lot of the times, not a lot of the times, but sometimes the execution date never is set or never arrives. So you you know, you can kind of guarantee that they will be in prison for the rest of their life. And in some cases, they do actually get executed. Like, actually, spoiler alert, we will see here. But um, I can also see the other side where sometimes I'm like, somebody has committed such terrible acts that just dying is too good for them. Like they need to have their freedoms taken away. They need to suffer. They need to be in prison for the rest of their life alive and suffering. Also, you got to be damn sure that you are 100% positive they are guilty before sentencing somebody to death. So that's another thing that's kind of iffy about the death sentence for me is like it needs to be proven beyond reasonable doubt I need a ton of evidence a confession would help but we all know that false confessions are a thing so I get a bit weary when I hear about confessions actually I need more I need some scientific proof I need evidence I need all that stuff anyway I'm getting off track by a lot here okay so July 25th the judge sentenced Long to death. So before this, it was just voted by a jury 11 to 1 that he be sentenced to death. And then on July 25th, the judge makes it official that Bobby Joe Long will be sentenced to death. So now let's recap. He has two death sentences, 26 life sentences, and 693 years to be served behind bars. You would think that that's enough to make anyone give up their legal fight, but I guess he had nothing else to do. I mean, he was going to prison for many, 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 many years, many lifetimes of of prison sentences. Anyways, so what does he do? He appeals the first death sentence. So in November of 1987, his lawyer asks for a retrial on some bullshit grounds that the confession should be void from the record because during questioning long said i think i need an attorney that's what bobby joe long said during his questioning i think i need an attorney but he didn't get one and the questioning continued so he felt like that should be everything should be void from that so the thing is he didn't ask outright for an attorney I don't think it's grounds for an appeal. He didn't say, I want an attorney. I need an attorney. Where's my attorney? I'm not answering any more questions until I have an attorney. I'm not talking until I have an attorney. He didn't say any of that. He said, I think I need an attorney. I wonder if the women who were coursed into going into his vehicle ever said, I think I need out of your vehicle. I wonder if that ever happened. Anyway, something to think about. So I don't think that he should have got a retrial. I don't think this appeal should have went through, but it did. And that meant that the death sentence he had received for Virginia Johnson's murder was off the table. And also in the retrial, they couldn't bring up his confession. 
Then, once that went through, they appealed the second death sentence he received for Michelle Sims. So that sentence was now revoked, and a new trial had to happen for those charges. In 1988, the retrial for Virginia Johnson has the same conclusion as the initial trial, and the death sentence is reinstated. But he appeals it again. In October of 1992, he is again cleared of the death sentence in the Virginia Johnson case. As for the appeal for the sentence of Michelle Sims case, it was upheld and he is sentenced to death again and then again and then again and then off it and on it and off it, appeal, appeal, appeal. Oh my goodness, it just is crazy. So February 1994, in the re, re, retrial for Virginia Johnson, it just so happens that Bobby Joe Long, he was coming undone in court. He was having violent outbursts, which is amazing because the jurors can see who he really is. He even spit on a camera. Um, and while the jury finds him guilty seven to five, because they didn't have that confession, so it's also confusing. Well, the jury finds him guilty seven to five, which makes me think like, who the fuck are those other five jurors saying that this fucking monster is innocent? Have they not picked up a paper in the last decade? For this guilty verdict, Long is sentenced to death again, but he appeals again. The courts conclude an order of acquittal. And according to legaldictionary.net, it means, um, quote, a motion for judgment of acquittal is a request for the trial judge to dismiss the case on the ground that whatever evidence presented at trial was insufficient for a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt, unquote. So I'm not sure what's happening here. I am not sure what's happening, but his lawyer actually seems to be doing a good fucking job and wiggling him out of all this shit. So Bobby Joe Long, he was able to wiggle out of the death sentence, which he was given for the murder of Virginia Johnson again and again and again. Anyways, that's gone. If that's not bad enough, he was never tried for the murder of Artise Wick. In the case of Virginia Johnson, he no longer has a death sentence, and I don't believe that that went back to court. And then in the case of Artise Wick, it just never even went to court. He was still sentenced to death for the abduction, murder, and sexual battery of Michelle Sims. And he still had those 693 years and 26 life sentences. Bobby Joe Long was 31 years old when he was arrested in 1984. And since then, since 1984, he spent 34 years behind bars and on death row. Bobby Joe Long was executed by lethal injection on May 23rd, 2019. The lethal injection commenced at 6.43 p.m. and he was dead and off this earth for good at 6.55 p.m. His last meal was a roast beef sandwich, french fries, and soda. Nearing his scheduled death date, so like before the day of that he was going to be scheduled to die, he apologized to his ex-wife, Cynthia. But too little too late, Bobby. He asked his son to not come and watch him die. So he was like, told his son, like, don't come and watch me die. Instead, why don't you spend some time with your family and go fishing, you know, do things you love. But there was a familiar face in the crowd, front and center, Lisa McVeigh, who is now a police officer for the same police department that investigated the murders all those years ago. She wanted Bobby Joe Long to look her in the eyes as he took his final breaths. 
But Lisa McVeigh said he never opened them. He never made that eye contact. When asked if he had any final words to his victims or their families, he said, no. That was the last thing he ever said. And then Lisa McVeigh watched him die. That kind of justice just brings tears to your eyes. He never once said why he did what he did to all those women for all those years. He told police that he would take that to the grave with him. And he, in fact, did just that. We will never know how many women he killed and raped. But we do know he can never do it again. After reading that, I had to take a break from recording because I'm going to tell you guys right now, it makes me so emotional. Like it actually makes me cry. Like I'm get like overwhelmingly happy that there was justice served for all of those women who were murdered, all of those women who were raped. It's just so amazing that they got the justice that they deserve. And those women who were found on those crime scenes, because of the evidence on their bodies, they also helped to catch and stop Bobby Joe Long. But at the same time, I'm just so sad that so many women had to go through violent, traumatic, terrible, terrible, terrible things to, to eventually catch Bobby. So I have this emotion where I'm really happy that he was caught and that he was brought to justice. But at the same time, I'm just... I just feel so much sadness for the victims and their families. Okay, so that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, to Bobby Joe Long, you know I give a huge hell no. The ugh, Just hell no. Yeah, hell no. Hell no, Bobby Joe Long is what I mean to say. Thanks for listening. Please find me on Instagram under hell no underscore true crime podcast. You can follow the Facebook page, uh, hell no true crime podcast. Don't forget, please give me a rating on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can rate and review. Share my podcast. Tell your friends. I appreciate it so, so much. You can DM me on Instagram and let me know that you're doing that. I will give you a shout out. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.